Linda. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Karis, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm really happy we're going to be talking about lots of different things. And as many people know, I do not introduce my guests other than say, hey, Brenda. <laughs> so <laughs> um, why don't you introduce yourself and, and, and tell us a little bit about like, who are you? Definitely. Well, thank you, first of all, for inviting me on uh, UBU. I'm super honored to be considered for the podcast. So super excited to be here today. So my name is Brenda Vaca, and I am a published poet. Uh, as of December, early December this last year, 2021, mm-hmm. I am the author of Riot of Roses, which is a collection of poetry, and also an independent publisher. I uh, self-published, but not only did I self-publish, I set up a little independent press because my uh, desire is to create space for other writers, uh, not just poets, but also children's books, memoirs, uh, essays, stuff like that. Wow. Wow. So, um, and that is why you are an unapologetically black unicorn (laughs) is, um, that, uh, you know, you've done all of these things and I met you because of an interest in, writing a book myself and found out about a group that you're involved in. And I had applied to see if I could workshop a particular piece that I had written. And that's how I got to to meet you and and, uh, learn about your poetry. And um, that was such a selling point. Yeah. See, we really do get people published. (laughs) This isn't just a class where you kind of put it together and then good luck to you, but see, you can really, and then you were showing me your your book of poetry and I eventually bought it. Um, And so I have, uh, I I do want to talk about uh, the book for a couple of different reasons. One is um, I was really, really intrigued by the title, like Riot of Roses, like where does that come from? And then um, there were some pieces in the book that I also wanted to explore with you a little bit more. So, So let's start with the title, like where does the title come from? Thank you for asking that question. Um, I, I, I wrestle myself with this question. Um, a lot of writers, I think when they're working on a piece of literature, they have title in mind. Um, I was not that writer. I was not that poet. I was working on my stuff and trying to find common themes and threads that, that would make it all make sense, right? It, to me first as the, re- as the writer, uh, but then also to a, a reader base. So uh, for me, uh, Riot of Roses is... I do have a poem in the book called Riot of Roses. For me, what it means is, you know, I write a lot symbolically and use a lot of natural images um, and symbolism. And I was trying to find a way to talk about heartbreak, but also the power of, of transmutation, you know, taking something really difficult sitting in the shit of it, if I can say that word. You can. Awesome. <laughs> uh, dealing with the thorns, you know, and the messiness of heartbreak and then trying to rebuild rebuild a life and then the beauty that can come from it all. Uh-huh. So just, I was trying to find a title for all of that. I toyed around with so many different things and, and, and different keywords, but I was literally in the garden. It was winter and I was pruning um, the rose in my, in my parents' front yard. I live with my elders taking care, holding down the home front and taking care of them. And I was uh, literally pruning and weeding and, you know, the, th- the thorns were extra feisty on, on this baby one day. And the pieces of that poem kept coming to my mind, but I was in editing mode. So, you know, that's kind of a natural thing. But Riot of Roses just kept following me around 
and mm. following me and following me. And, and I, I took that as a sign from the universe or spirit or however you want to think of it, that that would be the title. And I hesitated because roses is like, is it cliche? You know, everyone talks about roses and uh, people have told me, well, there's a reason for that, the beauty of the rose and, you know, the, the sacred geometry of its shape. And, mm-hmm. you know, we can go so many different directions with it. But um, what I ended up doing was creating a playlist for myself to get used to the idea of roses. And I just looked up all the songs and to get comfortable. And it felt, it felt right when I put it on um, and it stuck. Um, yeah. And then it stuck with my publishing house because I named my publishing house after this first book, Baby. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. The other thing, you know, when I was reading reading the uh, your, your book, uh, it was the one where you talked about, wait, were you a first violinist? Were you a violinist? Was that? I was. I was so a was first I. violinist. Oh, so cool. Hey, yeah, I, I read that. And I was yeah. like, now I know why we get along. So, yeah. you know, why it was yeah. like this, like click. Yeah, I was a violinist too. And I was so out of place, like this, you know, big black woman carrying this little teeny tiny violin. <laughs> you know, it was kind of funny for everybody. But you were talking about being a violinist and, you know, you really having this writer inside of you, but you were in remedial English. Is that, did I, yes. tell me a little bit more about that. I don't want to like, and we don't have to do spoiler alert. But, oh, no. you know. Yeah, no, you know, no one ever brings up that poem. So I'm so glad that someone saw that, sees me, sees that that moment, you know, I came from a, a working class Mexican family. And so we were all sent to public school. Private school wasn't our thing. Uh, definitely um, weren't going to afford that. Plus, I have a complicated family history with with religion. So um, they sent us to public school. And I always did really, I always excelled in school, um, especially in like the literature areas. My parents are great oral storytellers. Um, however, I think that you know, I, I often had to advocate for myself when it came to my education um, and a child advocating for themselves. It's very, it's hard. I did it in junior high and I had to really go to bat for myself, but um, they put me in remedial English. And as you can see, I'm English dominant. Um, Spanish was my first language, but English is the language of my education, mm-hmm. but the public school system, you know, we can talk about racism and we oh, can let's. talk about you know, right. Um, you know, my mom likes to put it by saying, you know, they're always trying to keep us in our place. So someone was trying to keep me in a particular place. I've been, as far as I remember, I've always written stories. As long as I could string a word together, I've been with a pen in hand, you know, um, my pen these days is, uh, looks like this, looks like a little magical wand. <laughs> oh, wow, that's very cool. Yes, yeah. you do. <laughs> Especially you if you're, to... you're a unicorn, you have to have a magical wand too. I gotta have right? a wand, yeah. yeah. So I gotta have a little crystal at the top of my, of my pen, of my writing utensil. So, um, but yeah, I was, I, I am artistic, you know, um, I was smart. Um, I wanted to learn. I had a thirst for knowledge and was, and loved reading and loved stories and always had questions. Uh, but the school system, you know, w- had a certain understanding of who I was. And I had to, I remember in eighth grade, uh, they put me back in remedial English and I was like, oh, hell no. This time and my brother, my older brother urged me on. Um, I went to the principal's office and talked my way into an honors program and, you know, by the end of the year, I was top of the class yeah. and, you know, got to stay in the in the honors system. But I always 
but I lost track with of lo- a lot of the people that lived in my neighborhood because mm-hmm. of that, you know? Um, but I think people were probably in a similar situation as me, you know, mm-hmm. smart, talented and pigeonholed, yes. right? Yeah. Uh, left, left out and excluded. So I, I love hearing about other writers who people, I just read today on, I follow uh, Kelly Fajardo, who wrote Woman of Light and Sabrina and Karina. She won two book awards, but she was sharing today that her high, one of her high school teachers told her that she should just drop out. Oh, yeah. One of my high school teachers told me I should be um, going to domestic service. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, and uh, it, yeah, I mean, it's a very, very similar story. Um, at some point when I was... Um, uh, had to have been around the third grade. So what are you about eight or nine years old then? I was telling the teacher that I had read this book before. I would read this book before I read it last year, whatever it was, I had read it the year before I was in a new school. I'm an army brat, global nomad. So we had, you know, come to live uh, with my grandmother and grandfather because my, my father was off serving the Vietnam war. So uh, my family, my mom and my brother and I went to, you know, kind of stay with my mom and, and uh, uh, her mother uh, or her parents. And so I went to this new school and um, they were telling me, yeah, no, you still need to read this book. Like somehow they couldn't believe that I, I had read this book. And I sort of let this thing go on because I didn't want to be a troublemaker. I don't know why I was like, I don't want to be a troublemaker. Like, let me just figure out how to like go along and get along. But it was so frustrating for me not to be able to be challenged, you know, educationally challenged. I like to go to school to be challenged, not to just go and sit. And so I think I finally told my mom and, oh man, my mom came storming down to that school. (laughs) Right. Right? She's like, and she, you know, I guess, you know, our mothers could be sisters, right? Because my mom was like, oh, they're not going to put you in your place kind of thing. You know, we very same thing. And so she came down and they were like, well, you know, uh, this isn't, this is the way we do it. And and we can't move her. And um, she said, test her. She, she told the teachers to test me. And so they tested, they waited and they said, well, we'll have to figure out when we can get the test, blah, blah, blah. So finally, when they tested me, it was towards the end of the year and I ended up testing two grades out, but they wow. wouldn't move me the two grades because it was the end of the year. So it was very strategic and it was a predominantly black, black school, which was interesting. But what we saw were, you know, uh, white folks kind of moving ahead. Um, I, I was able to move ahead in math. I wasn't able to move ahead in, in English for some reason. Um, and so I was actually, you know, sitting alongside two white girls who were two grades ahead in math. And I was doing the math with them. I had actually exceeded them. But when it came time to give an award at the end of the year, you know how they give awards to the kids for achievement and this, that, the other. And right. so the white girls got the award for math and I didn't, even though I um, actually had exceeded wow. what they were doing in math, which is really weird. You know, first you're, you're a female and right. then you're black. And so right. it keeps sending these messages about what people expect you to do. And when you um, overachieve their expectation, it's like yank them back into their place. Right. And then you, as a, when you're a young person, you start sending messages to yourself, right? Because you're just trying yes. to understand. And for, for me, I often would internalize um, an inferiority or a defect somehow. Um, there were instances, again, where the fight was in me, but there were still other instances where I would just go silent, you know, and I was an yeah. introvert out the door anyway, yeah. you know, um, yeah. and, and a very emotional Pisces. What's a, I don't know what that means. What's an emotional oh, Pisces? Oh, I mean, so Pisces are known to be often very sensitive or intuitive. Um, and 
people will will tell me quite often, oh, you're being too sensitive, you know, or you're mm. too emotional or you're very reactionary. And yes, I am all these things, but no longer am I going to apologize for it. But as a young person, it was like, oh, there must be something wrong with me, you know, and then those voices, the, those external voices become internal voices. And it was a lot of work to unpack that. And how much of that are you unpacking in your writing um, then and now? I mean, is that what you used writing for was to get it out or to explore those feelings and try to have a better understanding of them? Is that how you were also using writing? Yeah. You know, I think when I was a young, a young person, a younger person, I was definitely writing to get feelings out, to be, to have a sense of understanding of what was going on inside of me. And that was how I explored, you know, these emotions and these feelings and these experiences um, as an as an older person, I'm I think I'm exploring things um, because of that transmutation, right? Because things mm-hmm. have been transmuted in me, and I found it helpful to speak out loud or write it down, put it black and white on the page um, about these different issues. And because I was, I felt a sense of freedom whenever I would come across a piece of art or literature or music that resonated, that would set me free somehow. Um, I find it equally important to then put that out, you know, to the world as like an act of service, because maybe yeah. this could be helpful for somebody else, you know? Yes, definitely. I was reading, you know, the, the parts that I read, like the one I just talked about, I was like, oh, I think I know where she's going with this. I think I've had a similar experience and how many of us have this experience, but don't have the opportunity to see we're not alone in it, that we're, you know, we're not stupid, we're not dumb, we're not less than that, you know, we have to speak up and find ways to share those stories. So one of the other things that, um, that I, I was also struck by is um, how you help people think about how to read the book. Mm. And, and I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm not a poetry fan. That's, that certainly wouldn't be the truth, but how to read poetry or how to read a book of poetry. Nobody's ever taught me how to do that. I don't know if it's, you know, do you pick it up and you read it from front to back? Do I thumb through and pick what I want to read? But, but what I appreciate about how you sort of are helping people think about how to enter in, because there's some stuff in here that is like downright raw. Okay. Let's just like, like, it is like, if you're not ready to go there and kind of feel that rawness, mm-hmm. don't go there. And you told us that, right? Right. I, I don't know that many people do that. It's like, here's the book, have a good time with it. Right. You know, here's why I wrote it, whatever. But you were pretty direct about how, how to help us think about it. Yeah. Thank you for, for seeing that. Um, you know, the, when I was doing the workshop for this particular manuscript, people in, it was also with Community Literature Initiative, with CLI, uh, people in the class, mostly the femmes, uh, would give a trigger warning if we were talking about a particularly difficult subject, um, you know, physical sexual abuse, um, violation, just so many different kinds of trauma. We would, we would give people a trigger warning. And it was a big debate in class, you know. Um, mm. I don't want to break it down um, necessarily by gender, but sometimes it went right down the line by gender. You know, people, they mm-hmm eyes were often like, just say it, just drop your poem, you know, no apologies. And I don't think that the femmes were apologizing. I think we just were being caretakers and caregivers of Mm -hmm. the reader, especially like we were all processing uh, in pandemic. So everyone's on edge and Mm -hmm. Lord knows we are still on edge, you know, Mm -hmm. 
So for me, it was important. I didn't, um, I didn't want to do any damage to my readers. And there have been times where I've been at a poetry reading or at a slam or on a Zoom online open mic and someone drops something without a trigger warning and I'm not ready for it. And I'm like, and I'm out, you know, tap out. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm like going to self-soothe with a, a, an ice cream bar or something like that, right? <laughs> or yeah, trying, yeah. trying to get myself back collected. So I didn't want to do any damage to the reader. And I also didn't want to do any damage to myself because, you know, we're often as writers, very vulnerable, mm-hmm. especially poets are known to be very vulnerable in their work. And so I wanted to give a heads up to people that knew me like, hey, you may not want to know this or read this, you know? So yes. like, yeah. I'm cute if you don't, you know, skip over section three, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of a thing. Um, so I think that's how I approached it. And I use the image of the rose in my forward to talk about that. So I'm like, oh, this is extra, extra thorny, you know, mm-hmm. you may, you mm-hmm. may want to um, deal with it or not deal with it at another time. But I also trust the reader as a, as a po- person that loves poetry. I've read it. I've read bo- poetry books so many ways from front to back. Mm-hmm. I read the copyright. I read the dedication, all of it. And sometimes I just open it, open the book and just like, okay, what's the first one? And then just get swallowed up, right? Yeah. yeah. And, then I've, and then I'll start again, front to back, you know, or, or back to front. <laughs> so, so yours, and you're so funny because, yeah, like, so first of all, we have never met in person and we are going to have to meet in person because it, we're just too alike in certain ways. People are like, what is there's nothing on that page. What are you reading? I'm like, I'm oh, actually, I'm reading the copyright and I'm, I'm reading, I'm looking at the logo and I'm looking at like all of these, I'm looking at like the year I'm trying to find, is it a first edition? You know, all right. these kind of things, you know, because there, there's really kind of no there, there, but there is there, there. Right. There and, and they're like, well, just go and read the book. Right? Oh, okay. But um, what uh, I was also uh, struck about is I was kind of going through, I mean, you talked about some of it is going to be, you know, there's going to be stuff about trauma and it may cause trauma. And then um, I was reading about your aunt B and I thought, okay, this story is super familiar because she has the same diagnosis I have. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to piece together all of the different things where there were similarities and differences. And I, I just love how you told the story and how it's like, you know, she lived to be 80 even through all of the different things that she went through. Do you mind talking a little bit about that since we like to talk about mental health here? Absolutely. Yeah, no. And, and um, she's the only person in my family that I, so besides my parents, I think that I immediately put in and she has a whole poem to herself. Um, so my aunt B is one of my mom's oldest sisters and she was diagnosed, I think when she was 18 things started shifting in her behavior. Um, she, she went to Mexico with, with my grandmother, came back and was very different. And she was diagnosed with schizophrenia. She had runaway tendencies, um, you know, sometimes uh, violent outbursts and the family, uh, I have a big family. My, my grandmother had 15 children, 12 living children. So the house was full uh, to say the least. Mm-hmm. You know, so they had a hard time, my uh, grandfather, my grandmother, in making sure she was safe and and trying to keep the family safe. So they institutionalized her, which was very traumatic for the entire family. Uh, My mom, now in her mid 80s, is still like processing this stuff, you know. Um, But my grandmother was was always taken care of by her family, which I know 
because she was very like incapacitated, you know, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. by the, by, by schizophrenia. And I think of so many people that don't have the care of their family or a loved one or, or, you know, anyone to, to watch over them, a power of attorney, what have you. And they often end up on the street, right? And yeah. once you're on the street, it's, you, yeah. you don't make it so long. Um, yeah. So for me, that, I think that's what inspired me and gave me hope. Um, one, my aunt B was probably one of the most <laughs> ver verbally colorful speakers, uh, persons I've ever met. Like she can, she always had us laughing because she would say stuff very vulgar, very colorful. And mm -hmm. I come from a pr pretty religious family. So she was the one that would just like pop off every yeah. time. Um, yeah which I appreciated about her. We were like, Oh, th that's who we want to sound like, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. was me. and she just, she was a survivor. And yeah. to me, that's amazing. Um, and it's also a testament to my family, my grandmother, my aunts and uncles, everyone who took part in, in being a support for her, you know, they, yeah. no one ever let her go. Uh, they went to visit her in San Bernardino at one of the mental health hospitals out there every weekend you know yes. and it was like all the kids would pile up and go and uh, then my grandfather would stop at the winery and pick up a big old jug of wine you know <laughs> yeah yeah i have yeah. actually been i've been out to that uh hospital with a friend to visit um they have a sibling there so um mm -hmm. you know and had had to go through all of that um i haven't been in that hospital as a patient but as a visitor i've been in other hospitals as a patient but I'm not gonna talk about that, but um, you know what's what's what, what was interesting when I was reading it was like all of the different treatments that she went through, and and I think of like my own family because you're you know you're talking about all the the role of the family when when one person um, you know needs a lot of support and care or uh, has some of these tendencies and there's so much love you want to wrap wrap around that person and support them, you know I think I was thinking of my my own family and how supportive they were of me and, and almost so much. So like one of the things was that I was reading about that, you know, uh, she was to have, or she did have actually um, ECT. Right. Um, and, you know, there was a point for, for me as well, where things were just gosh, awful. And the doctor said, we don't, there's, there's, there's no, there's nothing left here. The only thing that we, we can try at this point is ECT. And I was so miserable and just so like, I just, couldn't almost take it another minute. And I said, yes, I, let's do it. Um, after talking to even a number of people and it was pretty frightening. I was like, I don't know what else to do. We don't know what else to do. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, you're going to have to go home and be with your parents. You're going to need more support. If you're going to do this, you can't live out here by yourself. So I went back home and my parents were like, nope, we're not doing that. Mm -hmm. We're not doing that. They, they were like, no, we're not then. No, no, you know. Um, and, you know, it, it took a lot for them to say, we're not doing that, but then to have to do everything they had to do to keep me safe for over two years, you know, right. until I can kind of get back to where I needed to be. So right. yeah, our families are amazing, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. in the case of my aunt, it was in such a, it was in that time. I don't even think my family gave consent, at least that from what I can tell from like the family story, my mom in particular, who was like 10 at the time, 10, 15, like, I don't think there was consent. So a lot of times that happens to folks and they didn't have a choice. So I, when I approached the story, it was with the understanding that some of these things weren't, weren't at my aunt B's. I know people that have willingly, you know, gone through that process. Mm -hmm. 
and it's so hard. Um, yeah. But I just, yeah. it, again, it was a testament to her strength, you know, in spite of it all, like she, she made it, she made it to eighties for me. That was, it was a blessing to know her, have her in my life. And I think it helped me be a better person because I've known her, you know, I knew her for my entire life. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. With, I was the person that did her funeral. I used to be a pastor. So I was the person then that led her. Funeral. Wait a minute. You used to be a pastor. I used to be, did I not, did I not mention that? <laughs> uh, I went to seminary. Oh, how funny. Which one? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so if I say this, I, I, I will have to caveat it. So I actually went to Fuller Seminary oh, um, yeah. here in Pasadena. Um, and, and some people will see this as a very conservative seminary and other people will say, well, no, actually it's more open than most people think. And um, I specifically went because I had interest in working with the deaf community and this was one of the few places that actually had a deaf ministry program. Oh, cool. So um, I wasn't quite worried about, is it, is it conservative? Is it liberal? I was more worried about what are they doing in this particular program? Yeah. So um, the other, when I was um, you know, thinking about how I was reading or accessing some of the poetry, you know, I found myself going, but how is this poetry? It feels very prose. And how, um, and how are you deciding how much of you to share with the world and how much to hold back? That's what I kind of found myself, I don't want to say wrestling with, but trying to have a better understanding of. And the only way I can sometimes understand it is to get into the mind of the writer and, well, hello, you're the writer, so I'm in your mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, maybe it's prosody. Um, there was a workshop actually that was shared yesterday. Um, you know, how do you, how do you write prose and poetry? And there's there's definitely a tradition. Um, I often think of my writing as narrative poetry, but I wrote sermons for years. You know, and I was a you know I guess an expository writer. So for a minute there, I thought I might have a book of essays because it does feel like it does feel very prosy. But when I physically was putting my writing on the page, it came out in verses, like, or at least the Uh. shape of verses. So I think that's where I landed on. But it definitely, you know, it's not very uh, rhymey writer. There is some element of rhyme and rhythm to it, but I'm not like the rhythmic poet. I'm not the rhymey poet, at least not yet, Um, not in this particular collection. So it's definitely, it is poetry. It's poetry because I call it poetry. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, it, there is a tradition of like prose poetry or narrative pro- poetry. And in terms of deciding content, what to share, I think for a minute, I almost called this testimony. Um, again, I come from a, a religious background where, where testimony and storytelling is as important. So I think that's where it came from, like what I, because there's a lot I chose not to, to put in the book, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's some stuff because I'm a creative writer. I got creative with it. And then some of it is um, is not just me, but it's also a hybrid of um, other stories that I've had encounters with, uh, could yeah. be the experiences of other people. So it's not just it's just, it's not just like poet centric, but a lot of it, like when I when I talk about it, I do say that this collection is a confrontation. A confrontation with myself first and foremost, um, but also a confrontation with uh, the patriarchy, um, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 racism, colorism, a confrontation with uh, religious tradition, 
Um, it's also a confession. It's me exploring my own uh, challenges and character defects um, and also my nature, you know, mm-hmm. confessing to who I am. And it's an embrace. It's embracing and understanding myself as a whole person and as an artist, as a creative. So, yeah, it's I think that's what helped me choose um what to put in here. And if you, if you do read a lot of poetry, a lot, a lot of it seems very personal. You know, I think yes. that's where um, poetry is maybe one of the oldest art forms, right? That storytelling mm-hmm. in verse, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of it, it gets, it gets personal. Yeah. It gets messy and it gets personal. Is there one poem or one line of a particular poem that you know, really resonates with you more than any? I know that's a horrible thing to ask. It's like, which is your favorite child? Oh, it's so hard. It's like, which stanza? There's, yeah. a, there's, um, I like, it's one of my favorite poems I like to read out loud. It's in the last section. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a rooted tree. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a popular poem. People, people really enjoy it when I read it, but I love the first lines. Um, when hurricanes come, I am a rooted tree. Roots so deep, palms blow in the wind. There are casualties. Branches wave like feathers. Tree trunk bends down low. We fall like orange seeds. That I just, I like. I almost had an out-of-body experience when I wrote that. It was Mm. was like I was a channel when that one came out. And I was recollecting a time when I was just about to leave the ministry. And I was obviously struggling um, in my placement I happened to be out of town. Um, I had just gone to Central America and heard about just horrible human rights abuses, including by by the hand of the church. And um, someone, a pastor saw me struggling and she prayed over me and she invoked the image of a palm tree. And so that stayed with me. That grounded me when I was like just flapping around everywhere and Mm -hmm. feeling very chaotic emotionally but it grounded me. And so years later, when I wrote that poem, I had that image of her again. I get emotional even thinking about it, praying over me. And this poem came out and Uh it came out almost in, I did edit it, but it came out almost exactly like this. And it's definitely one of my favorite pieces. And it's, it's a favorite when I share it out loud in community. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's very visual too. There's a very, again, sort of a very visual nature in how you're, I was going to say painting the words, you don't paint words, but you did paint the words. Right. So um, I, you know, thank you so much. I mean, is there anything else that, you know, you want to share with people who are listening in about sort of the, you know, anything, this is one of the things where one important thing you get to say before we wrap up. Yeah. What do I, you know, one of the, the, probably the biggest things I was grappling with um, as a writer and just as a person was, is, am I valuable? Is my story valuable? Who, who wants to hear my story? Who wants to read, you know, my, my little poems? But I think that, uh, that we are all valuable, you know, and I think that there is um, salvific power in storytelling, you know, where we can set ourselves free and help loosen the ropes on someone else, you know, help, yeah. help break those chains. So yeah, keep telling your stories. Uh, don't don't stop believing in in your stories and your gems, whether you're a poet or a songwriter or you know an yeah. artist or or just you're you're gabbing with friends. You know, yeah. Keep sharing. Yeah, thank you so much for saying that. Um, because 
that's what this podcast is really all about is for people to share their stories and for us to get those stories out in the world. So people can know again, they're not alone, um, that there are other folks going through the same thing, feeling the same thing, um, finding different ways to work through those feelings. So um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big, 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 big fan of stories. So thank you for making that the wrap up word for us today or a wrap up thought. So thanks for joining me, Brenda. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And I'm so excited to be on your podcast. Can't wait to share it out loud at the world. Yay. yay! And so um, just to remind the listeners, remember, we're going to be back here next week with Unapologetically Black Unicorns. Thanks for joining in.